Today's scripture reading comes from the book of John, chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to begin our Christmas sermon series, which you know is called the Advent. Advent means the arrival of the Messiah, the Christ. Um, on the cover of our bulletins, you don't have to go, but it says Advent, and then it cites a prophecy from Isaiah that's recorded um, about the year 700 BC. We'll look at it a little later, but it says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. I'm going to tell you a story today about darkness and light. We dwell and walk in a world of darkness, borrowing words from Isaiah the prophet. And this prophecy told us that in this darkness, there would come a great light that would shine, shine on us. And today and over the next few weeks, this sermon series is going to look at what it means that Jesus has come to be that light, shining on us in this darkness. Um, Now, a lot of times the beginning of an Advent sermon series begins with the story of, you know, Jesus as a baby. And uh, that's nothing wrong with that. I've done it myself. Um, But this time, we are, it just happens we're going to start with a story that gives us a little window into the day of a life of Jesus and his disciples as a full-grown adult. And as we do that, I think it'll help us get a little picture then of what it means that Jesus is a light as he comes to say these certain teachings and do these certain, certain things. Um, things that we can't really see or do if he's a baby, right? So we're going to join him as an adult. In today's story, he has recently, giving a little backstory here, he's recently finished feeding over 5,000 men with just five loaves and two fish. He's turned jugs of water into wine, and really good wine, (laughs) at a wedding reception. He's walked on water. He's taught about this special bread and a special water that once you eat of it and drink of it, you will never be hungry or thirsty again, and you, it will give you eternal life. It's just amazing, crazy teachings. And he's made claims that he and God are one. Um, to say the least, Jesus is causing quite a stir in his time. If this were happening today, it'd be all over the internet. It'd be viral, right? But what is Jesus' point in all of this activity? Is it just to be busy? Is it just to go around and and do good things? What is Jesus' purpose in all of this? And today's story in John chapter 9 is going to show us and how it applies directly to you and to me. So we're going to start with part one, which I'll call Jesus is the messianic light of the world. Jesus is the messianic light of the world. And then part two, the darkness of the world. The darkness of the world. And then part three, we have Christmas today because the light has come. That's why we have Christmas, 
because the light has come. So receive him, share him. So John chapter 9, verse 1. One day, Jesus is walking along with his disciples, and they come across a man, and this man has been blind since birth. And then in verse 5, Jesus makes a startling claim, I am the light of the world. And after saying that, he spits on the ground, makes some mud with his saliva, and then anoints the man's eyes with the mud. We're not going to get into all the details of, like, you know, different theologians trying to figure out why he did that and why he healed blind, other blind people different ways. He just did it this way. We won't get into that. But after doing this, this man goes and washes the mud off, and suddenly he's able to see. This is a man who has been blind from birth. (laughs) And now the man can see. I want you to notice something here. In verse 5, Jesus says something. And then in verse 7, he does something. He says something, I am the light of the world. He makes this oral claim. And then in verse 7, he does something. He heals this man's blindness. That's very important because it's these very things that the prophecies of the Messiah were foretold. We'll take a look at both the statement of Jesus and the actions. So first, his statement, I am the light of the world. Let's look at that. In the book of John, including, you know, verse 5 here, there are eight kinds of I am statements. I am, okay? There are eight different kinds of I am statements in the book of John. And what's... um, What's significant about these I am statements? Well, God reveals his name as I am in the book of Exodus. So, when Jesus tells people that he is I am, everyone understands what he's claiming to be. There's no subtext. (laughs) He's being very obvious. In fact, one of the kinds of I am statements is he just says I am before your father Abraham was, who lived like centuries before Jesus, he says, I am. So he's actually saying he was there before Abraham. How? Because he's God. He's making that claim. In this particular case, Jesus is saying that I am the light of the world. So Jesus is saying that he's God because he's making these I am statements. And Like I said before, there are eight different kinds of I am statements in the book of John. Why eight different kinds? Good question. Because each of these I am statements reveals to us something different about the character of Jesus and who he is and what that then means for you and me. Okay? So we're not going to go through all eight. We're just going to go through the one that he brings up here himself. Jesus says in this story, I am what? The light of the world. I am what? The light of the world. I guess your masks are really thick because I can't hear. (laughs) Think about that. Have you ever gone around and said, I am the light of the world? That's a pretty big claim, right? Unless, of course, it's true, right? Now, is it true? I don't know. Let's see, right? So Jesus makes a statement. It's a very, very exciting statement because then, and this is where um, we can show the slide. In Isaiah 9, verse 2, 
It says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. Now, in my slides, um, I put some more information about what makes this amazing. Oh, here we go. Number two. There we go. Thank you. This prophecy was given in 700 BC, around there, by the prophet Isaiah, recording it on these scrolls. So it's, it's there to be proved and verified later, like he didn't go back and change it. It's written on scrolls and then copied by many people. And this prophecy, seven centuries before Jesus was born, talks about this darkness and how a great light will then shine. A great light will come in the very same chapter, for unto us a child is born, a son is given. Isaiah talks about the darkness of this world that we walk in, but then he gives us the good news that there's going to be a light that will shine in that darkness, and that darkness will be a child born, a son given. Is that good news? And does it sound kind of familiar? The light that humanity has been searching for, has been waiting for, has come. The light has come. Right? That's the title of today's message, right? The light has come. So Jesus says this claim. Okay, it's one thing to say a claim, right? It's one thing to be, say like, I can jump from here to there, and then what's the next thing that people are going to say? Prove it right? So Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Big claim. It's actually a messianic claim. So now people are like, okay, well, are you going to back it up? Because anyone can just say the words. Well, what does he do? He spits on the ground, makes mud, puts it on the man, the blind man, and this blind man all of a sudden, after washing the mud off, can see. Now, is that also maybe a messianic prophecy? Good question. Let's look. Another prophecy that the prophet Isaiah recorded 700 years before the Son of God became flesh is Isaiah 35. So let's, next slide, next slide. Here we go. Behold, your God, notice, your God will come. He will come and save you. So God will come and save you. Then, as a result, the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped, and shall the lame man leap like a deer, <laughs> and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. This is another messianic, a prophecy about the Messiah, given through Isaiah. And here we have, <laughs> 700 years before Jesus was born, this prophecy, and then Around the year 30 AD, seven centuries after this prophecy has been recorded, Jesus has come. He proclaims salvation, like it says, he will come and save. And then he backs it up by opening the eyes of the blind, unstopping the ears of the deaf, giving life to the legs of the lame, and songs of joy to the tongue of the mute. Jesus fulfills the prophecy that he is God. He is the one. And he is the one who will come and save. As creator of the world, 
Jesus has the authority to literally, because he is God, right? He can literally dictate to the molecules of creation. You, 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 go here. Rearrange. And in this case, Jesus makes it so that the molecules in this blind man's eyes and brain, who was blind from birth, to now all of a sudden see. Somehow, he, Jesus, the creator of the world, through which all things were created, made it so this man could see. So he not only made the claim through words, but he backed it up by literally lighting up the eyes of a blind man. This fulfills Isaiah's prophecy about the light of the world that will shine upon those who dwell in darkness. The light of the world has come. The light of God has come. Amen? God promises us. He promises to... To, to send us the Messiah. But tragically, despite the fact that the prophecies are there and it's all verifiable and even these very Pharisees, the very people in this time, people who lived during Jesus' time, they knew the prophecies well, these Pharisees, that was their job. It was a study of the, the word. Even they did not believe in Jesus. They would hear about the light, but they still chose to remain in the dark. This brings us to part two, the darkness of the world. So let's look at what happens in the story after the blind man is healed. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He heals him. Blind man from birth now sees. So now there's questions, right? There should be questions. Verse eight, Look with me at verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? And some of them said, yeah, it is. And others said, no, it's just, it can't be. But maybe it's someone who looks like him, right? He is like him. He kept saying in the man, I am the man. <laughs> Jesus gives an I am statement. This guy gives an I am statement of his own. I'm the guy. I'm the blind guy. He's like, can you imagine all these conversations going on that don't include him? He's like, I'm the blind guy. I know it's crazy. I know it's hard to believe. I, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes open? Good question. He answered, the man called Jesus. Notice he says, the man called Jesus. Some guy, you know, that guy, the guy who's going around and we've heard things about him, crazy stuff. Don't know if we really believe it, but he's here now. He made mud, anointed my eyes, said to me, go and wash. I went and I watched and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, and the man said, I don't know. So they brought the man to the Pharisees. And these are the, the experts in scripture, the law, the Old Testament. And they brought this man who had been formerly blind. Now it was Sabbath and when Jesus made the bud and opened his eyes, and one of the big rules is you don't do any work on the Sabbath. So the Pharisees are already pretty annoyed and, and angry at Jesus for doing this. So the Pharisees asked this man, hey, uh, how, did you, how did this happen? And the man says, well, he put mud on, mud on my eyes, and I washed, and now I see. Now some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. They're talking about Jesus. He, he can't be from God. He can't be whatever, a holy man, because he broke the Sabbath. But then other Pharisees, interesting, right? Other Pharisees said, well, hold on. 
How can a man who is a sinner do such powerful things? Right? And so it says there even, there was a division among them. There was a division among the Pharisees. Jesus is so powerful that he's causing division even amongst the Pharisees who are so, you know, firm and sometimes stubborn in their beliefs. He's causing a division among even them. So they said again to the blind man, well, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And, and the man said, he's a prophet. He, he's from God, right? The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. So they called the parents of the man who received his sight, right? They, they called the parents. I don't really believe there's still some people. I don't think he's a man. And maybe he wasn't blind. So they called the parents. And they asked the parents, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And the parents answered, well, your first question, we know this is our son and he was born blind. But now how he sees, we do not know, <laughs> nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. 22, his parents said these things because they were afraid um, of the leaders of the Jews and the, the, the leaders of the Jews, they had already agreed that if anyone should confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, then he would be put out of the synagogue. He would be excommunicated. You can no longer worship with us. So the parents, not wanting to undergo that, they're like, uh, you know, we can tell you he's our son and he was born blind, but as for how he was healed, why don't you ask him? He's old enough. <laughs> and so the Pharisees, they asked, okay, what did he do to you? Asked, asking the guy, how did he open your eyes? And says, I told you already, and you wouldn't listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also maybe want to become his disciples? <laughs> I don't know if he was being sarcastic or what, but that's got to smart, right? If you're a Pharisee, you're like, whoa, whoa, what? Who is this guy, right? And they, 28, instantly they reviled him. Because now they're saying, oh, he's on Jesus' side. You're his disciple. And they go, but we are disciples of Moses. In other words, they, they're faithful to the Old Testament and to the laws. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, Jesus, we don't know where he comes from. And so the formerly blind man says, why, this is an amazing thing. This blind man, I think he's kind of a smart guy, a smart guy and a smart, smart guy, <laughs> smart aleck. And he says, wow, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opens my eyes. Hmm. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He, so he's, now he's using the same, the argument of the Pharisees against them. He says, you, you know, you yourself, the God does not listen to sinners. But if anyone is a worshiper of God and does God's will, God will listen to him. Well, and it you know, goes down, if this man, Jesus, were truly not from God, then he could do nothing, including heal me. But yet he healed me. And you yourself said that God does not listen to sinners. Therefore, maybe Jesus is not a sinner. Maybe he actually is who he says he is. I am. I mean, that's a pretty ironclad argument, right? He's using their own argument that they gave against them. And here's how they answered. You, you were born in utter sin, what do you know? Would you teach us, they said, and they cast him out. So totally ignoring all the facts, totally ignoring all the logical argument that he just presented, they just said, ah, get him out of here. They 
excommunicated him. The darkness of the world. The Pharisees, like all of us, walk and dwell in the darkness of this world, and they love their their so their sight and their minds are so darkened by the sin and the darkness of this world that that they can't see the truth when it's like right there in, in front of them, right in front of their nose. They love their pride more than they love truth. And so when the light finally did come, what does the light do? It shows flaws, right? It shows you can see things that you didn't see before. And as the light Jesus Christ comes, they can see some of their flaws. But rather than acknowledge that those flaws are indeed there and asking then God for forgiveness, they instead hate the light. And they're like, hey, turn off the light. (laughs) I don't want to see all my flaws. They would rather turn the light off. Yes, even hate the light. And they would rather hold on to their pride and to their sin. I wonder how often we do that. When we are confronted with light, I've got my Bible app, so this is not the iPad, but Bible. That is the lamp unto our feet. How often do we read something there? Or how often do we have a conversation with a parent or a friend or a Sunday school teacher or a pastor? Or soon, you know, we're going to have some elders. And in love, I hope, in love, they come and they offer light. And that light will show some good things, but also it may show some other things. What will be our response? Will it be like the Pharisees? Turn off the light! I hate you! Why'd you bring that light? Go away! I don't want to hear it. You're wrong. Our sin brings a darkness over us and over all of reality, and it pervades and infiltrates everything in our world. The physical aspect... So blindness, COVID, emotional, depression, suicide, abuse, sin, the darkness of sin, it even pervades and infiltrates the natural world, fires and earthquakes and typhoons, storms, and of course the spiritual world. We see it with pride, hatred. For example, we see sin's darkness in the strife and in the division all around us. Just look at all the prejudice and the violence and the tragedy that comes from prejudice, both this year in 2020 and in so many other years throughout all of world history. And I know there's a lot of uh, talk amongst the academics in their little white ivory towers about what is prejudice, what is racism. I'm defining prejudice. I'm using it just for these purposes, okay? Prejudice as prejudging. That's where the word comes from. You've already gone into something with a mindset that I'm going to hate this person based on whatever criteria that you choose, which is directly, directly a violation, a, a spit in the face of the greatest commandment to love God and all his creation. Love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, and mind. And the second is like it to love others. It doesn't say prejudge others based on their 
economics, based on their background, based on their educational level, based on their skin color, based on their tribe, based on their creed, based on their political party. There is so much strife, and that's just one part of the darkness of our world. You know, I have, uh, we have friends who have friends that they've known since their elementary school years. That's 30, 40 years, guys. And now these friends are no longer talking because these friends voted one way and these friends voted the other. And because of that, they said, we're no, never going to talk to them again. These, this is a 30, 40 year long friendship that is broken by strife, by sin, by prejudice. These are all aspects of sin's darkness. Another um, aspect of the darkness of sin, sin's darkness affecting, how about the natural world, our bodies? The obvious example today is COVID. But it's not just COVID, is it? Right? There's cancer. There's heart attacks, there's arthritis, there's diabetes, there's AIDS, and it goes on and on and on. It's, all of these are just symptoms caused by the underlying root of sin and all of its deteriorative properties. And then we see the impact of sin's darkness, not only on the natural world, our bodies and in society, but we see it on our minds, our individual minds and hearts. And so how do we see it? We see it in loneliness. We see it in anger. We see it in despair. We see it in hopelessness. A relevant example of how sin pervades into everything like this giant spider web of darkness just spreading out, right, is how COVID causes physical suffering, but it doesn't stop there, right? COVID has also spread into emotional suffering too. How we've seen this. Well, suicide rates have climbed astronomically since the COVID pandemic. In fact, I just read an article this week about how in Japan, maybe you read it too, this month there have been more deaths as a result of suicide than from COVID. There have been more deaths this month in Japan from suicide than from COVID. But a lot of it has to do with COVID. Because sin spreads, it infiltrates, it affects everything. The darkness that it casts, it infects everything. This reminds us of the seriousness of the mental and spiritual life just as much as your physical body, right? My wife is a licensed marriage family therapist and people are flooding her phone with emergencies. In fact, and just these past two weeks alone, she's had to treat three separate suicide attempts. These are people who she speaks with and has a relationship with, and they literally feel like they have no more reason to live anymore. They just want to end their life. Does that sound like suffering? It sure does. These are people who want to end their lives because of emotional and spiritual neglect and disrepair. If we care for our physical bodies, which are temporal, then isn't it only logical for us to care that much more for our souls, which are eternal? So people are suffering, and we're suffering in every way imaginable. And as the prophet Isaiah said, 
we live in a world darkened by our sin. And without the light of Jesus, we tend to just, just search around in the darkness like a blind man. And in, instead of owning all of the darkness as, a, as it being a result of our sins, we, what do we do? We analyze it. We rationalize it. We explain it away with words and sociology. And we have words like crime and social injustice and natural disasters and disease. All of which I'm not saying is not there. Obviously it is. They're all true. But at the end of the day, what I'm saying, these are all symptoms of our sin and the brokenness of our world caused by sin and the darkness that results. These explanations are all just ways for us to distract ourselves from the real issue. And so we get to blame other things. We get to blame other people. We get to blame other factors. And there are, of course, always external factors. We get to blame other political parties, the other party, but hardly ever acknowledge our own sin against God. And so, faced with all this darkness of the world, all this darkness, like, what do we do? We search for futility, in for futility, for a solution. We look at all the problems and all the darkness and we go, let's fix it. So we look for a solution. And guess what, guys? The world is more than happy to offer us blind people counterfeit solutions. The world thus proposes solutions in the forms of sensual pleasures like food, right? Here, have some great food, gourmet food. Eat up, enjoy. Drugs, just escape. Material wealth. The world proposes solutions, offers us solutions in the form of political ideas. Hey, if we do this policy, and if we follow this political party or that political party, then the world will be happy. The world will know peace. That's the solution. Or emotional distractions, whether it be games, whether it be boyfriends or girlfriends, husbands, wives, even our children can become counterfeit solutions, thinking that if I be, I'm the best dad, the dad of the year. That's going to be like everything, and I'm going to be happy. It's not true. It's a counterfeit solution because people have tried, and it hasn't worked. So all of these solutions, guess what, guys? They're just illusions. They're traps, actually that lead us on this wild goose chase, making you feel like you found something only to leave you later dissatisfied, broken, lonely, angry, cynical, hopeless. These are illusions and deceptions, and the devil is throwing them at you like there's no tomorrow. He's throwing them at you, thinking that he can fool you into chasing this. Here, here, chase it, come on. Spend your life chasing this thing. <laughs> this is the solution. Because you know what? The, even the devil knows that there's a real solution. And the last thing the devil wants is for you to find the real solution. 
So he's busy giving you counterfeit solutions, traps. So what are we supposed to do? In this world of darkness, filled with all these illusions and deceptions and lies, This leads us to part three. Let's see what the formerly blind man here does. Part three is Christmas means that the light has come. Receive it. Share it. Right? So verse 34, we pick up where we left off. The man basically out argues, not even out argues, he just gives logic, right? He's just giving the facts. <laughs> and the Pharisees don't like it because they love their pride more than truth. And so, which sometimes we do. And so then he gets cast out. He gets excommunicated. He's cast out into the darkness. And just like Isaiah 9 says, a great light will shine. And guess what? Jesus comes. He seeks him out like a great light. The blind man who, who, who can now see was cast out into the darkness, away from his community. And who's the one that searches him out and finds him? It's Jesus. He is the light of the world, and he comes to shine on this man. And having found him, verse 35, he asks him this very important question. Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, this is a very important answer. Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? What he's saying there is, in response to Jesus' question, do you believe in the Son of Man? Number one, Son of Man is a messianic title, okay? We may not know that, uh, but at this time, everybody, you know, pretty much everybody who was Jews, who were Jewish, knew that Son of Man was a messianic title, okay? Because the Messiah was supposed to come through um, as a man, as a human being. And so this man... He knows what Jesus is asking. Do you believe in the Messiah, basically? And he answers, well, who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? In other words, tell me who it is that I may believe in him. So he's saying, yes, I do, but I don't know who he is. I do want to believe in the Messiah, but can you tell me where he is? And then Jesus says, it is I who is speaking to you. I am he. And the man says, Lord. Notice that title, Lord. King. That's what it means. King of my life. I believe. And he worshiped him. This, it just really hits me. Because notice, this blind man, this is his second encounter with Jesus, right? This is not his first encounter. This is his second. In his first encounter, what happened? He was healed of his blindness, but he was not yet saved. He got saved in the second encounter. You know what this tells me, guys? This tells me that you can have some kind of spiritual experience with God, but that doesn't mean that you're saved from your sin. Do I have your attention? I hope I do. This is especially for those of us who've grown up in the church, right? Well, I'll take that back, not especially. But for those who've grown up, I've been to church all my life. I go to Sunday service religiously. I give tithes, I serve. All good things, but let's keep the main thing the main thing because we love you and because God loves you. He's asking, yes, you do all those things, but 
Do you believe in me and do you worship me? Do you believe in me as the son of man, the light of the world, as God, who come to save you, deliver you from your sins? Do you believe that? Because you can do all that other stuff and you can have spiritual experiences, but that doesn't mean you're saved. And now I speak to people who aren't in the church, who haven't grown up at the church. Maybe you're joining us for the first time today, which I love. God has brought you here for a reason. Maybe you've had some kind of experience like when you're driving and you saw something and, you know, it saved you as you were like falling asleep and, oh, you know, maybe that was an angel. But guess what? I'm not doubting that. I believe in angels. I'm not doubting that. What I'm saying is that doesn't mean you're saved from your sins. And this is important because if you ask this blind man, what is your biggest problem? After having met Jesus, he would not say, my biggest problem is my blindness. He would say, my biggest problem is I'm dead in my sin and I need forgiveness and I need to be washed so that I can have fellowship with God, with Yahweh, with I am. You see, this blind man was healed of his blindness and he was blind for his whole life. You would think that's the high point of his day, right? But that's not the high point of his day. The high point of his day is when he understands, when Jesus reveals himself to be the Son of Man, the Messiah, and he believes he's been waiting for the Messiah. He knows the Son of Man is coming. Tell me who he is so I can believe in him. And that's the high point of his day when he realizes he is looking face to face with the Messiah, shining upon him in the darkness so that he can be in light and life with God. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is not asking only this blind man, do you believe in the Son of Man? He's asking every one of you, whether you're here in this room or at home, do you believe in the Son of Man? And Jesus is saying, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. There's only one solution that will save you from sin, death, and darkness. And that one solution, his name is Jesus Christ. And that's what Christmas is about. And that's why we celebrate, because the light that we've been waiting for, for you know, for the people in Jesus' time, for they wait for 700 years, the light has finally come. Guess what? You and I, we don't have to wait. We live in the period where Jesus has already come. And now we're waiting for his second coming. That's another sermon. Let's take some time now to respond, pray. Praise team, come on. Let's pray. Father, we are living in a unique period of history where the light for humanity has already come. It came 2,000 years ago in a manger in the city of Bethlehem as prophesied. And then this, it was, it came, the light of the world came, as Isaiah 9 said, and it came to save us. It came as a child. And then it healed us, like Isaiah 35 says. And as we see in John chapter 9, our story today, 
this light of the world, a child born unto us, he grew up and he opened the eyes of the blind. He opened the ears of the deaf. He is the father to the fatherless. He is the resurrected groom to the widow. He is the family of the sojourner. He is the solution. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the light of the world and the light has come. We thank you. We thank you. We pray that we would really marinate in that this Advent season. Everything, every song we hear, every Advent reading we do, every time we hear somebody say Merry Christmas or say Merry Christmas to them, we're not just greeting them, we're evangelizing. We're telling them Christ is here, the light has come, the light that, will, that all of humanity is yearning for and searching for, not a counterfeit solution, the real solution. The light has come, he is here, he is Jesus.